Hello and welcome to the Third Sector Podcast. I'm Rebecca Cooney, Senior Feature and Analysis Writer. And I'm Emily Burt, Editor of Third Sector, the UK's leading publication for the voluntary and not-for-profit sector. Each month we're delving a little deeper into some of the conversations being had in our community, learning more about exciting innovations and probing some of the issues we're facing. And this month we are going to be discussing the issue that we are all facing right now, the coronavirus pandemic. To do that, we're having to shake up our usual format. So this month, rather than our usual panel of guests, it's just going to be Rebecca and I. We'll be chatting about the challenges being thrown up for this sector by the coronavirus. We'll be looking at the hashtag Everyday Counts campaign, which is asking government to give urgent financial support to charities who have been affected by the virus, but are also on the front line of responding to it. And because no one wants pure doom and gloom, we'll also be bringing you some good news stories we've heard over the past couple of weeks. A kind of coronavirus care package, if you will. I feel we should point out that we are harnessing the magic of remote recording and we're observing social distancing measures. Emily is in Norfolk and I'm in my flat in South East London. So uh, how's it going up there, Emily? I love that, you know, social distancing, we're really going like hardcore, you know, so it's two metres apart. We're like 300 miles apart. So, you know, (laughs) that is how you practice it well. Can't be too safe. You can't Can't be be too safe. safe. Um, I've been in the editor's job for two weeks and it is not what I thought the first two weeks of my new role was going to be at all. It's, um, <laughs> it's extreme. Uh, a pandemic is not what I thought. I thought I'd be doing onboarding, you know, but like pandemic management, not at all the one. Um, and so, yeah, so I'm isolating in Norfolk with a uh, 10-week-old Portuguese water dog called Panda. And so if you hear any uh, screaming in the background while we're recording this, please do be reassured that it is the puppy and it's not anything untoward, which is exactly the sort of thing a murderer would say. (laughs) Panda has been one of the best things about the whole self-isolation thing. Every editorial meeting we've had has been Panda sitting on Emily's lap and kind of squeaking at the computer in excitement. And it's been lovely. It's yeah. It's, I, I, yeah. I think we should continue this tradition when things go back to normal and just have Panda Absolutely. in our editorial meetings. We'll bring Panda into the office. She's growing fast. Um, and Rebecca, how's it going for you? Uh, yeah, not too bad. Um, I've been self-isolating with my husband, so that's been nice. I uh, actually got to see a bit more of him than usual. Uh, and yeah, <laughs> so, so far, so good. There was a point where we took lunch breaks at different times and he had headphones on and he was chewing so loudly. And I thought, oh, gosh. Oh, maybe, maybe you learn things about each other. Yes, yeah, and it was only because he couldn't hear, but uh, yeah, Uh, but no, so far, so far, so good. So far, so good. And of course, the killer question: How much loo roll do you have? Uh, We're actually pretty good because we just done a big shop before the loo roll panic buying happened. So um, proactive and wonderful. Yeah, yeah. How about you guys? Uh, We're all right for loo roll, but again, there's there's a big gang of us up here i'm here with my parents and my sister so the situation is slightly drastic but you know we are all just getting along and making it work so should we crack on so as you'll have noticed we're in the middle of a global emergency and in the uk the voluntary sector is front and center of the national response to that emergency the government is looking to the sector to play a critical role in the effort to save lives and protect the nhs But at the same time, the sector is facing an unprecedented crisis as fundraising drops off, events are cancelled and providing services around coronavirus restrictions becomes even more difficult. National infrastructure and umbrella bodies have reported hearing of charities large and small that are struggling to make payroll or even on the brink of closure. The National Council for Voluntary Organisations estimates the sector could lose £4.3 over the next 12 weeks because of the coronavirus crisis, but the figure could be even higher. 
And so in the last week, we have now seen umbrella bodies such as the NCVO, Akivo, NAVCA, the CFG, the IOF, Small Charities Coalition, the DSC and others all coming together to launch this Everyday Counts campaign, which is calling on the Chancellor Rishi Sunak to provide meaningful financial support that will help charities survive this crisis. So far, more than 230 MPs have signed a letter to Sunak backing the campaign. So Emily, what have you been hearing from charities about this? Well, so much of the last two weeks, I've kind of spent on the phone to lots of different charities um, and, and hearing from them. But also, I don't know about everybody else, but I've been glued to Twitter. I feel like whenever there's a crisis now, it's very symptomatic of, of the way we live. But I'm on Twitter and I feel like that's where I'm seeing things unfolding in real time. And the message that I am overwhelmingly hearing is not a surprising one. Without urgent and immediate financial support charities are they are going to go under and they're going to go under fast it's you know we don't have months and months to wait around for this to happen particularly i've been following paul streets who's chief executive of the lloyds bank foundation and a third sector columnist um and he's been doing these brilliant little uh, hand-drawn charts and graphs which he's sharing on twitter which and basically the crux of it is this The demand for charities and charitable services has grown exponentially just in the last couple of weeks and their income is about to nosedive. We've not only seen huge events like the London Marathon and Glastonbury and other major fundraising events being abandoned because you cannot run a marathon and keep people two metres apart, obviously, but now smaller scale fundraising events are also being scrapped because you can't get out and you can't shake buckets and you can't um, have events and gatherings under these new social distancing measures and under particularly the lockdown. So it's going to become just a whole lot more painful to perform even the most basic everyday functions for a lot of charities. So it's amazing to me that we haven't seen anything concrete from the government yet. Um, Rebecca, as someone who's been working in and reporting on this sector for like a lot more time than I have, does it surprise you that the government is being so slow on the uptake? Uh, Not especially. Like there obviously are politicians who are incredibly supportive of the sector. You know, there, there, you know, everyone's got a local MP who they think is brilliant, who is really, you know, and, and there are people who really have worked with charities very well in the past. The government as a whole, I think, has a tendency to conflate voluntary with free, which just right. isn't, the, isn't how it works. That's, that's not the case at all. There's this idea that, you know, OK, well, volunteers are going to come and do it, but somebody has to manage the volunteers. Someone has to recruit them. There's there's so much stuff that the money for that does have to come from somewhere. It does cost money. Um, yeah. And there is this usual issue that the charity sector has, that it's so nebulous that it's actually right. quite hard to make a case for the sector as a whole to get support. That, you know, when we say the NHS needs support or businesses need to pay employees, it's very clear what that money's for. For charities, it's it's to support a whole range of different things that help us keep doing the vast array of vital things that charities are doing and it's not obvious how some you know how some of the work charities does contributes to dealing with the virus even though it very clearly does i feel like we see this response almost every time there's a crisis in that people just charities come in to help but people completely fail to understand that they are businesses as well and they have to function so in the australian bushfires cast your way back to January (laughs) when Australia was on fire and that was only two months ago and it was um, the WWF had fundraised an emergency appeal and some of it went into their backroom support everyone was kicking off and saying this isn't what I you know donated for but they've got to function as well it's not like it's all going into a magic coronavirus pot and it is strange to me 
the response and the expectations that people have. Because on the one hand, you have these announcements coming in from places like the DCMS, the Department for Culture, Media and Sport, who um, on March 18th put out this statement saying they were going to galvanise volunteers and they were going to coordinate a response to the coronavirus and saying charities are very, very important. But alongside all this kind of praises, there's no acknowledgement that if they're going to be able to give support, they bluntly need cash to do it with. I mean, I don't know what the government thinks charities run on. Do they think it's fairy dust? Or is it that they just expect the public to be giving enough money that will see them through this time. Yeah, and I mean, the, the government, the public are giving. Um, you know, the National Emergencies Trust has raised £11 million in a few days, which is, that's incredible. It's extraordinary. Like, it's absolutely yeah. fantastic. But at a time when so many people are struggling themselves financially because, you know, they may not be getting paid, work's dried up because of the coronavirus restrictions... I, to me, it seems naive at best to imagine that, that, that the public can just cover that bill for charities. Surely they can't be thinking that. I just, I don't know. And, you know, I think I think I absolutely echo what you're saying. And I do think it's really admirable. Some of the fundraising efforts that we have already seen in the last couple of weeks, you know, we've but the reality is that responsibility should not be lying in the hands of the public and it shouldn't be lying in the hands of people who have to suddenly coordinate these emergency fundraisers just to help them get by. And we have seen some incredible efforts and, frankly, more concrete financial support for charitable organisations from just a handful of philanthropists alone than we have from the government. Two of the biggest names um, that have happened in the last week were the founder of Money Saving Expert, Martin Lewis, who released a million pounds to support small registered charities who were struggling with the coronavirus impact. Uh, and then there was Steve Morgan, who announced a pledge last week of a million a week for at least 12 weeks. And that's what the government has predicted as the minimum uh, period of this crisis. And that's going to go and support charities based in Merseyside, in Cheshire and in North Wales. But although this support is welcome and it is incredible, the problem is that it's just not consistent. It's not a sustainable model of funding and it's not something that's ever going to be able to stretch to cover everyone in the sector. And I feel like that that kind of consistency is what is desperately needed right now, not just these random pockets of cash being um, released. No, absolutely. And I think amidst all of that crisis, I've also seen a few of the usual people popping up on Twitter arguing that, you know, well, there need to be fewer charities anyway, so we should just you know let some of them go under and it just i i can't even begin to explain particularly without swearing on the podcast um how myopic <laughs> i find that world view um just that you know there are there are, there is an argument to be made in normal times that you know there is duplication within the charity sector that a lot of it could be streamlined with cooperation and mergers um and kind of more strategic working together that there is a merit to that argument in normal times but this isn't an ordinary time and the idea that that you you know if some cha- if, if all charities are struggling and some charities in a particular area go under, that then the other charities in that area are going to not just you know, do their own work that they're struggling with, but pick up the slack from the other charities without going under themselves is 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 just it makes it's no sense. It makes it's no mad. sense at all. You need to yeah. yeah. It's not the time for this conversation in the slightest. Yeah. Um, and certainly, I think what we've definitely seen is that in the last uh, short period, charities keep getting, they kind of keep dangling charities um, in government conversations. So we hear about robust conversations being had and um, that there is support is going to be coming, but they're just not acting fast enough. And this is why the hashtag Everyday Counts campaign, which is being coordinated by the NCVO and these other umbrella bodies, is so apt because 
every day that this isn't being dealt with and it's just kind of being alluded to by the government in different ways is another day that these charities get close to going under. Yeah. And and you get what I like to think of as charity name drop bingo. Whenever you get a debate in Parliament or anything like that, a speech from MP, they will have a good five minutes at the beginning of it where they will talk about the great charities in their constituency and they will name drop them and talk about how they're doing amazing work, which is lovely, but then they'll go on to kind of make a speech which at best doesn't help the sector as a whole or is actively contributing to something that is a real problem for the sector. So yeah, every every time there is just this kind of name drop bingo. And I think we're seeing a version of that where they're like, of course, charities are great and they're doing great work. Yeah, but it's not that's not that lip service is not translating into the funding that charities need. It feels like that message is starting to garner support. So on Tuesday, the 24th of March, we saw a group of cross party MPs writing to the government to ask how they were going to address the situation. But again, as Christina Rickson, who is the head of policy at Akivo, pointed out, um, that letter uh, requests a two week turnaround. And within two weeks, you know, she says they could go under. And even though the prime minister recently said the government was considering a support package, it's simply not happening fast enough to stop there being really severe consequences down the line. So listeners, let's get behind this campaign. That hashtag every day counts. Keep spreading that word. Keep building the pressure because this does need to happen and it needs to happen fast. Absolutely. I think there is this real issue that charities can't just press pause on what they do. People will need support today and tomorrow and the day after. So it's not like they can save money and cut services. Um, Even though I know the Small Charities Coalition was saying that only about 20% of charities were saying they could provide a full service at the moment. And that's, that's astonishing and it's terrifying and I just think over the past few weeks we've seen a really dramatic shift in the idea of who and what jobs are essential to us you know nobody valued shop workers or delivery staff until they've seen aisle after aisle of empty supermarket shelves and suddenly we've gone from talking about unskilled workers when we were talking about Brexit in January to to, to really noticing how important these roles are and I think charities in the same way have just been getting on with their thing for so long now that Actually, we don't have a concept of what it would look like if they weren't there. And if they're not supported, we'll soon find out. You know, much like these empty aisles in the supermarket, the UK is definitely going to notice once the charity sector isn't there or once large numbers of charities aren't there. There is going to be an impact. And I think it's worth saying to charities like, we see you right now. The amazing work you guys are doing, holding together a world that feels like it's falling apart. Day after day, we've just been reporting and, you know, seeing fantastic examples of charities coming together, putting in the work or just doing the amazing work they do all the time. Um, and it's been an immense honour to report on and an absolute joy to watch. Keep going. Keep going. And let's hope that they give you the support to keep going. So if you want to learn more about the hashtag Everyday Counts campaign or get involved, you can take a look at the information on the NCBO website or search for the hashtag on Twitter where you will find lots more views and opinions. Okay, so there has been a lot of doom and gloom in the past few weeks, and it's understandable. There's a pandemic on. But I do think that it's important that we are trying to find those silver linings where we can. So to try and cheer everybody up, we have made a list of the most interesting or the most optimistic stories that have been catching our attention in the last couple of weeks. So first up, Rebecca, hit me with your good thing. Uh, That sounds very sordid. Sorry. (laughs) Well, if you want. Uh... I'm keeping it. Hit me with your good thing, Rebecca. Go on. 
Um, so for me, I think the biggest thing that I've seen, it's just been the sheer number of volunteers who have signed up. Um, so at the time of recording, I think we were on about 560,000 NHS volunteers in Amazing. sort of less than 48 hours, um, which is, I mean, that's phenomenal. Um, Unprecedented. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic response. And and we've also got the kind of mutual aid uh, UK groups. So these are just people who have sort of spontaneously come together to support other people in their community, to put their name down and say, if you need me, I am here. And I believe the last figures I saw, there were 2,090 volunteering groups across the country. So that's, you know, people coming together saying, I will deliver stuff for my neighbours. I will check in on them. I will talk to them. I will do anything that needs doing. Um, and... I suppose those of us working in the sector shouldn't be too surprised because we know better than most the huge scale of volunteering that goes on in this country, like every day. But to see it so vividly illustrated has been just a real perk of what has otherwise been a slightly glum time. Mm, absolutely. And I think the, 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 the speed with which people were able to mobilise, like last Tuesday, I got a flyer through my door from my local mutual aid group. And that was, you know, it had set up about six or seven days before. So just the energy that people can bring to this when there is a cause and when there is something that actually unifies people, I find it really inspirational. Um, not to sound hackneyed, but it is. Yeah, no, it's, it's inspiring. It is. I think when we've also when we've had a time where people have been panic buying loo roll, there is no loo roll in the shops for no good reason because people are behaving selfishly. It's really nice to have that counterpoint of actually these are people behaving unselfishly and doing the things that you kind of you kind of hope people would do in a crisis. This is this is this is the humanity you you hope you're going to see. Yeah, for my part, um, I think my first good thing is that. I feel that the, the, the authenticity and the humanity with which sector leaders have engaged with this crisis, and that's with each other, with their service users, when they're all snowed under under this extraordinary escalating situation, which nobody knows when it's going to end or what's going to happen next. But the energy that leaders have been bringing has been absolutely incredible. And as someone who has been coming into a leadership role and is very new to that, it has taught me so much about how you can talk to people and engage with people under pressure and the kind of response that that gets. Um, and in turn, I've also, and a lot of this is, is playing out online, but people have been incredibly forgiving. They've been incredibly understanding that we don't always get things right straight away. I think a lot of the time these days, there's quite an unhealthy expectation of how right people should be behaving all the time and that they should always be um, exactly on point with their actions. And, you know, in the last couple of weeks, I've just seen, you know, not only people coming out and putting their hands up and saying, I'm not getting this right all of the time, but people coming back to that and saying, it's understandable. We're all under a huge amount of pressure. Um, and I think that that's a kind of an attitude that we need to be carrying forward once we're out of this crisis, because it is much more humane and it feels much more real than a lot of the engagement that I normally see in this area. No, I think that's true. And I think there is there is a kind of strata of, of really wonderful leadership. And I was having this conversation with Jane Ide at Navca, who has been phenomenal throughout this. I have to say shout out to Jane Ide. She's been amazing. But she, Jane she was saying there's just been a whole raft of people that she's just been in constant contact with. And they've only perhaps been in their roles, you know, in the last couple of years. And just the fact that they have these established relationships ha and have been able to come together and and 
cooperate so well without ego, without kind of, because you do unfortunately see quite a lot of organisational ego within the charity sector. And this has been a real case where actually that's just been put to one side and we've just got on with things. And I think it's amazing. What's your other good thing? Give me another good thing. My next good thing has been uh, the response of funders to this, um, which has been absolutely fantastic. You know, they've all got together and just agreed to be more flexible, more supportive. There was this amazing, so there's a um, an umbrella body called the London Funders. They put up a pledge um, I think it was Monday or Tuesday last week. And in that time, last time I checked, about 240 funders have now signed that pledge, basically agreeing to be really flexible in how they work with charities, not to be demanding, and just not to add to the problems that charities have on their plate at the moment, which we've, you know, we've discussed so much about how need is is, is increasing. And the idea that, that kind of these big philanthropic organisations are really not adding to that problem and actually saying stepping up and saying how can we support you has been fantastic so they've kind of signed this pledge that they're going to you know sort of adapt their activities and acknowledge that you know agreed outcomes may not be achieved in the original time frames mm. um, they're kind of saying you know that they're, they're going to discuss dates they don't need um, organizations to meet tight reporting deadlines which is huge for charities like trying to report back on the impact you've had collecting that data is hard putting it together in a form that makes sense for other yeah. people is hard um, um, and just to take that thing off charity's plates is great. And then this financial flexibility has been huge as well. It's another thing they've pledged to do, which is to allow organisations to use money differently to what they'd originally agreed. Because it may just be that you need to cover sickness or you need to buy new equipment so you can work remotely. And I think that's going to be huge. And just listening as well. And I think it, it underpins this whole attitude that they've had, that they are going to have frank conversations between funders and grantees and you know asking them to say, come and tell us if you have a problem. Don't pretend they're everything's fine because we're funding you you know we need to know if there's a problem so we can help you fix it and I think that is huge and it is something that I am hopeful much like we were saying about leadership I'm hopeful that that is going to continue after this crisis because it's been a, a lightning rod for a lot of conversations that have been happening for a while in the sector about how funders need to behave and I'm you know mm. really really optimistic that that's something that is going to carry on and is uh, is going to make a real difference to how um, charities are able to operate. Absolutely Absolutely. And it's again, again, much like with businesses, you know, it's like, actually, we can all work remotely if <laughs> yes. we need to work remotely. A lot of these structures which we put in place where we say, oh, no, we cannot do this because of reasons. No, actually, we can. Actually, we can. So let's hope that there are definitely um, structures and things that carry forward after we're out of this horrible situation. And that's one thing that's been very lovely, actually, is just that, um, you know, so many small charities do have to work remotely because they can't afford office space or there's only three of them. So uh, for a lot of them, they've been kind of going, let us show you how to do it. You know, we ran a lovely piece with a, a relationship, relationship charity called One Plus One who just sort of said, oh, yeah, we've been doing this for ages. Let us show you how. Which has been quite nice to see. I think the adaptiveness, especially of small charities over the last couple of weeks has just been amazing. And they are setting some amazing examples. Um, there's a small charity based in Berkshire called Dingley's Promise. And that supports children under the age of five years old who have additional needs and disabilities. And they've just launched a whole range of new systems so that they can continue to support families remotely under the new self-isolation rules. So that's things like they've set up, say, phone or email email contacts so they can get in touch at least twice a week for every family that they're working with. They've set up weekly emails going around offering resources and ideas for home-based activities for families who, who have these children with additional needs. And also coffee mornings and stay and play sessions, they're keeping them going. They're just doing it over video chat. And I think that responsiveness and that agility is absolutely fantastic and it is so admirable from them. 
Another brilliant piece of responsiveness I saw was the, uh, from the anti-bullying charity CyberSmile. Obviously, a lot of parents have now got their kids at home. They are having to tutor alongside doing their work and trying to get everything else done inside the house. And CyberSmile have launched a full curriculum of free-to-access digital education and a 24-7 support resource for people of all ages who are in quarantine or self-isolating. It's about making people's days go with a little bit more of a swing. The other thing, absolutely mad thing, which I saw this morning is from um, pet charity Blue Cross. According to the Metro, they've actually donated their mechanical ventilators to the NHS now. So they still have manual ventilators. So in the instance that they do have an animal in distress who needs to be ventilated, they will still be able to provide that service. But they have just recognised that the need and ventilators are going to become a huge pain point in the next couple of weeks, I think. So just thinking about how can I adapt to the situation that we're in now from like giving away your equipment to providing a new resource um, in a really short space of time for people who are in need. It's incredible. And there are so many lessons being being given here. What's your number three? My number three is uh, Blurt. So Blurt is a mental health um, foundation. Uh, they do kind of Blurt boxes, which are like these kind of subscription boxes where they kind of, it's kind of mental health pick-me-ups that they send you every month and that's one of their fundraising methods. But what they've also done, their Twitter feed. So it's at Blurt Alert is their Twitter handle. And they've just done a hashtag Seeking Sunshine. And it's basically just three up to i think i think they're recommending three but you know as many as you want things that have made you smile or given you comfort and warmth that day and sure the news has been relentless for the last few weeks um much of it bad yeah 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 like so much of it bad or at least anxiety inducing so seeing other people's good news and being asked to think about your own good news is is just really nice and maybe maybe it's a bit twee but i kind of i wonder if perhaps we need a little bit of twee right now as kind of a, a an antidote to to everything that's been going on. We absolutely need twee. I demand it. <laughs> we need whimsy as far as the eye can see. Just for relief. Everyone needs a bit of relief sometimes. Um, my current relief is watching Bob Mortimer train guy videos. I don't know if you're no. into train guy at all. I'll send you the link okay. afterwards. Okay. It's, it's good fun. And I guess my last piece of good news in the spirit of optimism and positivity, goes out to Morrison's. I'd like to give out a little shout out to Morrison's, probably having a terrible time with their own supermarket struggles, as is every other retail chain in the country right now. Um, but Morrison's has pledged to hire up to 500 charity shop staff who've all had their offices closed down because of the coronavirus. They've agreed they're going to take on staff from Marie Curie and from Click Sergeant until the stores that they usually work in are able to be reopened. And it's also said that it will welcome staff from other charity shops who might be looking for temporary paid employment in this difficult time. And for me, that is private third sector collaboration at its best, because there's no pontificating, there is no strategy to it. It's not showy. It is just a business seeing a way it can provide a service or a support to a partner in trouble and then getting it done. So big snaps to Morrison's. And I hope that that partnership is a really successful one for all of you. No, absolutely. And I think so many businesses have really stepped up to the plate. Um, yes. You know, and it's been a really interesting dividing time watching kind of some charities, uh, some businesses be fantastic and some businesses not so, not so much. I'm not going to get into it, but let's just say I'll be seriously thinking about where I buy my sports equipment and go for a cheap night out in the future. Not naming names because we don't want to get sued. Absolutely not naming names, but just putting some more but thought into But you know that. who you are. Yes, organisations like Morrison's, um, I think Asda were donating money as well, weren't they, to, to Trussell Trust. They've absolutely been fantastic. Thanks to you all. You've all been great.
So it really has been an extraordinary couple of weeks reporting on this escalating situation. And while none of us really know where this is going or where it's going to end, I think it's safe to say that we have both been blown away by the rallying power of our audience. And Rishi, if you are listening, please give them some money. Just do it. Just do it. We don't need to hear about how much you value them. Just give them some cash so that they can continue supporting the people who really do need it most during a global time of crisis. Yeah. It's not even just that it's the right thing to do. It's it's the thing that makes sense. It's the way you solve this crisis. It it's makes a huge complete sense. Part, it's a huge part of solving this crisis. And we'll be back with another episode soon. So make sure you subscribe to this, the Third Sector podcast, on your favourite podcast app to be the first to know about it. Thank you to the producer, Anushka Tate, for Rethink Audio. And to you for listening. And uh, stay safe, guys. Stay safe. Wash your hands. 